0: This week on the Backtable Podcast.
1: The important thing is, again, whenever we talk about peribone disease, first of all, listen to the patient, listen to their complaints. Remember, again, these guys, now they're coming out of the cave because fortunately we finally have a commercial, the, the famous carrot commercial from Cyaflex. We finally have something that's putting the word out there. And it's pretty cool because, again, now these guys are finding, you know, they're looking at these commercials and they're like, you know what, I have that. Let me actually seek some help. So I believe that the incidence is actually, and the prevalence of prevalence is actually a lot more common than what we think. And if you don't feel equipped to treat them, at least guide them.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Backtable Urology podcast, your source for all things urology. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and at backtable.com. Now, a quick word from our sponsors ReviveRx providing urology specific sterile and non sterile combining services to the specialties of urology and fertility since 2016. They currently work with over 500 urologists in 36 states, servicing over 200,000 patients live. They pride themselves on service quality, and innovation. Products like their ICI injections are lyophilized to provide temperature stability to allow for shipping, easy of travel, and fewer incidences of preapism compared to pre-mix formulations. Products Revive produces include HCG, FSH, Trimix, Trimix Gel, libido enhancement for men and women, hormone replacement, and over 80 unique Urology-specific compounds. All pharmaceuticals produced in our facility follow federal guidelines for sourcing, compounding, and dispensing. Find them online at Reviverx.com. That's R-E-V-I-V-E-R-X.com, or call 888-689-2271. Orders may be faxed to 888-689-1620 or sent electronically to ReviveRx Houston. Now, back to the show. The Jose Silva is your host this week, and I'm very excited to have back Dr. Jonathan Clavel. Dr. Clavel, as you guys know, is a men's health specialist and assistant professor of urology for UT Houston. And currently, that I didn't know, and Jonathan told me about this, he's also the section editor for Peronic disease for the AUA core curriculum, so congratulations with that. Welcome to Backtable, Jonathan. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well, Oce, and, and thank you for having me back. I mean, it's been a while, but it's always great to be a part of the Backtable Urology podcast. I want to congratulate you and the entire team for the amazing content you guys are bringing to the urology community. It's been it's been pretty cool to listen. And thank you again for, for your contribution.
0: Definitely one of your things in urology that, that, that you're very passionate about Peyronie's disease, and I want to to do this, this, this podcast about Peroni. So prior to talking about the topic, I wanted to ask you about that. I see you on social media, you always talk, talk about posts about the tiger maker. So can you explain that a little bit?
1: That's, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, a tiger maker. So this is something that started when I was in fellowship. As you remember, my fellowship was in sexual medicine and my mentor and fellowship director, Dr. Ron Wong. When we were evaluating and counseling patients prior to penile implant surgery or, pe- or even you know, usually the fellow, which you know, it was me at the time, would be the one explaining everything to the patient. And then Dr. Wong, he would come into the room and be there for literally 30 seconds and tell the patient, like, do not worry, we'll make you a tiger. And then when <laughs> Dr. Wong's second fellow came along, which was Tico, uh, Dr. Saavedra from Puerto Rico, we used to joke about being tiger makers. He came up with t-shirts, scrub hats and the full merchandise for Tiger Makers and now everybody who graduates from our fellowship program is considered a Tiger Maker. That's why the name. I didn't start it was my mentor.
0: <laughs> wow, I, I didn't know that. That sounds such a, a cool story. And I have seen that your that your scrub hat in the pictures is also of tigers, right?
1: That's right. So it's one of of the things that when we graduate from the fellowship, they give us a scrub hat that says like Tiger Maker. So everybody who's graduated from that fellowship has the same scrub hat. Awesome. It is pretty cool. I'm just exploiting the social media posts. (laughs)
0: That's it. No, no, that's great. I mean, do do patients ask you about it or or do they know about it
1: or, or is it something for social media only? So, I mean, sometimes they do, and I'm not going to lie, sometimes it can be a little bit awkward when they're like, hey, doctor, <laughs> it's like, why are you a tiger maker? And then I'm like, uh, <laughs> okay. but yeah, we are proud of the hashtag and we're it's pretty a pretty cool thing to have, actually. It is, it is.
0: So, Jonathan, I'm sure you get a lot of referrals for patients with angle penis, but let's talk about the usual presentation. When they come to your practice, you usually see them in the acute phase, stable phase, pain, no pain.
1: True. Well, you're correct. Like the most common referral that I get from other urologists is to help treatment with peribonitis disease. Peribonitis, like many other conditions, is extremely variable. And there are so many different ways in which a patient can present. There are many types of deformities, you know, distal curvatures, proximal curvatures, hourglass deformity, corporal wasting, penile shortening, pain, no pain. And the same way we do not treat every stone case or BPH case the same way, with disease treatment should be individualized, right? So when it comes to patient presentation, when a patient presents to my office for a complaint of peronis disease, first of all, I listen, right? I try not to book more than two new Peronis patients in one day because I know they will take a long time to counsel. These patients are extremely distraught. I mean, they're frustrated, they're anxious think about it, their penis was perfectly fine. And most of the time, all of a sudden, without a clear injury or without them even knowing why, their penis started changing. And let's be honest, I mean, it is not easy to talk about these things to a stranger. So there's actually been research on this. And most men take years, again, years before they seek treatment. So the least we can do is listen to them. I believe peronitis disease is a lot more common than we think. Men with Peyronies, for me, I always tell people it's like men with Peyronies are just hiding in caves. They're scared. They're ashamed. They push their partners away and they do not even know that it can be fixed. So I listen, I examine them and I try to explain everything. Most men that I see, again, my practice is very different from many urologists. Most of the men that I see, they are already in the stable phase. They have seen Either one or two other doctors, you know, be be it their primary care doctor, they refer them to a urologist. Urologist didn't know how to, you know, what to do with them, or it was too complex for them to manage, and they at least have an idea of what's going on regarding the acute versus stable phase. I mean, we need to remember that the guidelines have changed from several years ago. I still remember being in residency, and I loved seeing when I was in residency. You had to cram down a clinic of fifty patients, seeing a patient with peroneus was the greatest thing because at that time. When I was a resident, I remember we had to wait one year without any changes before considering treatment. So whenever the patient presented, I always asked them, oh, so how long have you had the curvature? Or when was the last time you noticed a change? And if they told me, it's like, yeah, doc, it was three months ago. I'm like, okay, well, great. I'll see you in, in nine months. And then I go, you know, we go on to the next patient. So you know, those conversations tended to be very quick now is very different, right? So now, you know, we consider the stable phase when they have had no changes within three months. So I always ask them, when was the last time you noticed a change? If they have a picture, I ask them, how long has your penis been like this? Has it changed? We need to know these things as it may change our treatment, algorithm a little bit. So yeah, so right now it's very important that we remember that it's only three months, you know, before a change for us to consider it to be as within the stable condition.
0: So pain is no longer a determinant in that sense. It's just the angulation, the, the,
1: the changing angulation. So that's very interesting because, again, patient who presents with penile pain, first of all, penile pain alone is not considered peronis disease, right? Pain in the penis can be secondary to infection. It can be pudendal nerve entrapment. It can be pelvic floor dysfunction. I mean, there's so many things that can be causing penile pain. However, when you have pain in combination with an acquired deformity, it can be considered peronis. And I think we need to remember is that just like you're saying, like pain is a subjective complaint, right? There recently was a debate on Twitter regarding a review article published by the Mayo Clinic in which they were discussing the inconsistencies in the literature when it comes to differentiated acute versus chronic disease. And pain is one of the things that is considered, well, inconsistent. Why? I mean, because pain is subjective. Many men can have stable curvature or deformities for months or even years. But if they also have a good, strong erection, I mean, that scar tissue will start tethering on that erection, that tunic albogenia, and the patient can complain of pain. The other thing that I also take into consideration is, are we talking about pain or are we talking about them having discomfort? Again, with Peyronie's disease, there's scar tissue that is not allowing the penis to stretch out to its full capacity. Therefore, if you have a patient who has a strong erection and that scar tissue is holding the penis back it will be at least be uncomfortable. So not a reliable indicator, at least for me. So in terms of pain
0: with erection versus arrest, really it's a matter of the curvature. It's not a matter of, I mean, or or will, will that symptom of erection, of pain with erection versus arrest will push you toward thinking something else?
1: So, I mean, if they have, again, there are some men that have pain without the erection, although in my practice, at least I see that, I don't see that as often. Most men that mention pain usually is during the erection. And the other thing is most of the time it, it happens temporarily. So I always ask them, are you having pain? And if they say yes, I'm like, okay, are we talking about pain or discomfort? Was the pain worse several months ago? And most of the time they're able to differentiate. It's like, yeah, at the beginning, you know, it was kind of painful that it woke me up in the middle of the night. But now I can still enjoy sex. So if they're still able to enjoy sex, then... It could probably just be discomfort from the tethering of the tunica rather than actual pain because they're in the acute phase.
0: So those patients in the acute phase, prior to seeing them again in three months, what do you do anything to them? Any pills, anything that, or you just tell them, try to cancel and say, hey, we need to wait.
1: No. So it depends on where, you know, how bad the curvature is. It depends on their state of their erection. It depends on... Their age, their comorbidities. I mean, it, it depends on also the how quickly they really want to you know, get to a solution, right? When it comes to, you know, if they have pain, I just give them pain control. NSAIDs, Tylenol. I mean, there's some studies right now suggesting that low intensity shockwave therapy, again, not radial wave therapy, but through you know linear shockwave therapy could help. However, I mean, according to guidelines, the pain sometimes, most of the time, it actually improves once the plaque stabilizes. So. I always wonder if the shockwave really helped or was it just time that helped the pain? And now they're saying that, you know, the shockwave is the one that helped them out. However, I mean, who knows what happens? And then if they have erectile dysfunction, I will give them medications for erectile dysfunction, you know, PDE5 inhibitors. There's been some doctors, mostly in Europe, that say that their patients do well and that the plaque stabilizes better if they are on daily Tadalafil. I mean, I don't believe that's true. It was only like one doctor talking about that. But I am one that I believe that a daily Tadalafil should be in water. We call it vitamin vitamin C or vitamin C-alice. And again, it's a great medication, low dose. It can help them bring blood flow into the penis. And there's actually been some studies suggesting, again, don't take that as scripture, but there are some studies suggesting that it can actually even, that medication, Tadalafil, has anti-inflammatory properties. So it's something that I give during the acute phase. And sometimes even after surgery to help them recover quicker
0: good to know that so
1: the five milligrams or, or you go to 2.5 i go five milligrams daily i think i prescribe that at least 10 to 15 times every day i should have some stock action until... <laughs>
0: even for stones no,
1: no just, just <laughs> kidding, just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> that's right that's right i like that
0: <laughs> so jonathan in terms when do you start taking uh, talking about patient about treatment options
1: that's a great question. I mean, just like with a patient who presents with erectile dysfunction, I talk to them about their treatment options during their first visit. When a man comes in with ED, I talk to them about pills, injections, vacuum pumps, you know, the intraurethral therapies. I tell them about the experimental stuff, although I do not offer it in my practice, but I tell them like, hey, you might encounter people who might be offering you these things and these could be considered experimental. And I also even talk to them about the penile implant. The same way a man who presents with Peyronie's, I explain to them, all the treatment options from pills, which by the way, none of them work to correct deformities. And I talked to them about traction therapy, injectable therapy, and also surgical therapies. They could even be in the acute phase, and I will let them know that there are treatment options for them. I'd explain the different surgical therapies, which include again, plication procedures, plaque incision and excision with grafting, and penile prosthesis displacements with or without adjunct procedures. I explained all of that in the first visit, I mean, some might be overwhelmed, but at the end of their first visit, I basically tried to remind them one thing. And I tell them, it's like, hey, I know we've talked a lot. I already explained to you, you know, why we think the peronies happened, what's the disease process, what's the normal process of the actual disease, right? Like, you know, some of them recover, some of them do not recover, some of them get worse. But what I tell them is, like, I want you to remember one thing, and it's that I can help you. Just remember one thing, I can help you. And most of the time again they, they at least know that I got their back and we can actually help them out.
0: Okay, you listen. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I, I try to. <laughs> I mean patients complain that nobody listens to them, that they're making it up, but most likely it's just that they didn't offer anything. In terms of penal rehab or, or penal stretching, I mean, is there is there something onto it?
1: So when it comes to penal rehabilitation, I mean most it depends men with good erections and a penis that is losing size i try to recommend them to use traction therapy you know with or without the injection therapy men with poor or weak erections who is also losing size maybe a combination of the vacuum therapy to help stretch the corporal tissue along with the tunical tissue so it really depends if they don't have good erections i try to get them on the vacuum therapy as soon as possible if they have good erections I try to get them in, with traction therapy. And usually the one that I use the most is the Restorix device.
0: Okay. And you just point them towards the website and, and have them order ordered? Or? Yeah.
1: So we have brochures in our office and I explain to them how it works. I have the actual device in my office. I mean, I don't wear it myself and show them. <laughs> uh, but I kind of like give them an idea of how it works. I mean, the, the Restorix instructions with, that come in with the kit, they're actually pretty self-explanatory and patients are able to follow it. And the good thing about this Restore X device is that as opposed to other traction therapies that were required to be used for many hours, the good thing about the Restore X device is that most of the time you can use it within an hour and start noticing some results. So that's the pretty cool thing about the Restore X device. It looks archaic, but <laughs> in my experience, I mean, some patients they do respond to it. Do you recommend it for something else for patients that want their penis to look bigger? So I've never I've never offered that, offered it to them, but again. If they want to mess with it, by all means. I mean, it's it's 500 bucks online, so you can probably get that.
0: So I had a patient, that 20-year-old guy, 20, 22-year-old guy, something like that. He was using a stretching device, and then you had, he stretched too much, and then he was numb. So his penis was numb. He wasn't having any erections. I started him on Cialis daily. At some point, he started working again, but, you know, it's just...
1: It's scary. I've 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 had those patients as well. I've had some patients that when they're pulling too hard on the penis, it can damage their nerves. I mean, it's minimal. I've also had some guys who their penis retracts a lot, and by them doing regular traction, the penis now. I mean, they become from growers they become showers now. So again, you you <laughs> see a little bit of everything. I don't recommend it for that, but if you want to try it, people use know. it. There's people out there. <laughs> people that use will it. use it.
0: So let's talk about the Siaflex and, and other injections. When do you use them? When you start using them? At what point during the stage of the Peronis
1: do you use them? So the limiting factor for using Cyaflex within the acute phase, and there's actually been studies comparing acute phase, you know, uh, using cyoflex acute versus stable, and they actually respond you know, during the acute phase. But the limiting factor is the insurance company. Insurance companies will find whatever excuse to not approve this medication. I mean, this medication is a little bit expensive at least for a patient who's paying out of pocket. But, you know, when it comes to offering these injections, I truly believe they can work. However, when it comes to choosing which treatment to offer, the most important thing to remember is this. And this I tell them, I start off to every patient, I tell this this sentence, we only treat Peyronie's depending on two things, your degree of bother and the degree of erectile function. And I will repeat that, degree of bother, not the degree of curvature, but degree of bother and the degree of erectile function. And men who has good erections and is not bothered, we live alone. For example, I've had guys, Ocha, I've had guys who have a almost 60 degree ventral curvature and they call me and we've had even virtual visits and they're like, hey, dog, I don't, I'm not sure, you know, this started happening. And I ask, them, are you able to have sex? Yeah. Does your wife complain? No. Do you complain? Well, I just want to make sure that, you know, my, I'm not going to develop cancer <laughs> so, so, or something like that. And then, you know, I ask him, it's like, does it bother you? No. Well, just leave it alone. I mean, if you're able to have sex, like, oh, well, great, dog. That, that's what I want to know. And sometimes you will have a guy who has a 30 degree curvature or sometimes even a 20 degree curvature. And you're like, I think my penis might curve more than yours <laughs> <laughs> and he wants it fixed. So again, it all depends on the degree of erectile function and also the degree of bother, not the degree of curvature. So that's the most important thing. Then depending on those two things. I start offering treatments. Then the other things that we have to take into consideration is, for example, is the plaque calcified? Does the patient have hourglass deformity? Do they only have a curvature? Do they also have erectile dysfunction? Do they have an unstable penis? Are they in a hurry to fix it? Do they want to be functionally straight or do they want to be straight like an arrow? I mean, those are the things that we really need to take into consideration and make sure that we address those questions because, again, these treatments They are not for life or death. We're talking about quality of life. And when it comes to a penis, a man wants their penis to look good, right? So we want to make sure that one, we set up proper expectations. And number two, we offer them something to meet those expectations, right? If we're able to get there. The only injectable therapy right now that I currently use is Cyoflex, And I offer it to patients with a curvature and a plaque that is not calcified and have good erectile function. There is some data for the use of interferon and verapamil, but yeah, I mean, the only one that I'm using at the moment is Siaflex. And again, I use it for those with good erection and a curvature. If they have ED that is not responding to pills, they need an implant. And then the other things regarding calcified versus non-calcified, a plaque that is calcified, in my opinion, is unlikely to respond to the medication. Why? Whenever we inject Siaflex, we need to inject the scar, not around the scar. So the Siaflex injection that is injected, we're usually using an insulin needle, which is very unlikely to go into a calcified scar. So whoever's injecting, we should be able to, first of all, identify and feel the plaque. And, you know, he or she who's injecting, we should probably be struggling when we're injecting. So I tell guys, like, if I'm not, if I go in and goes like, you know, super quick, it's very unlikely that I injected in the right spot. So we, I try to emphasize this whenever I, I do trainings for... I'm a speaker for Cyanflex, for example. I tell that to practitioners and the providers who are using these injections. Like, what we need to make sure that we struggle, otherwise we're not really injecting in the right spot.
0: And Jonathan, in terms of that calcified plaque, I mean, is,
1: is it based on ultrasound or just on palpation? So most of the time it's with ultrasound. However, I mean, there, there will be some guys that you... You know, as soon as you start pulling on that penis and you touch it, you know, that's like a rock. And for those I tell them like, hey, man, Siaflex is really not going to work for you. And again, the other thing that I wanted to mention, I mean, now that we're talking about Siaflex is that we need to remember what the research shows, right? Siaflex injections in the pivotal studies, which were the INPRESS trials, it showed 30% improvement in degree of curvature. So if you have a patient who has a 60 degree curvature, Expect to get down to about 45 degrees, right? 30% improvement. So if you have a patient who has a 90 degree curvature, you know, you have to explain to the patient, don't expect your penis to be straight like an arrow, right? And most of the time, the Cyaflex alone might not do the job, but it can be done with penile traction. So to be honest, I am not a huge believer in sciflex alone, and I am not a big believer in traction therapy alone, but both together. I've seen men go from an almost 90 degree curvature to almost 30 degree curvature, which many men consider it to be functional. So again, if there's anybody like any urologist listening to me, when it comes to Siaflex injections, we need to make sure that these patients are doing their rehab at home. The Siaflex will only soften that scar tissue, but the real homework needs to be done by the patient. They are the ones who has to be doing those regular exercises at home. And the good thing about this Restorix device, and again, just in case I have no stock in, <laughs> in Restorix, but again, it is a device that can actually help men. And there's been good research showing that sometimes it can be more than 50% improvement when you combine both Restorix with the Cyloflex injection. Good, Jonathan. And also I
0: got a question. You mentioned the, the partner. So if the patient doesn't have any discomfort, but the partner is the one, having the discomfort. I mean, you treat
1: it as if he was having the discomfort in that sense, it would correct the deformity. I mean, it depends on both, right? So when I, just like with a patient who has erectile dysfunction, try to bring in the partner. Because again, just like you're saying, this is something that affects both. So yeah, if the partner is complaining of discomfort and it is truly because of the curvature, then you can consider treatment. Because I've also had couples coming in And the partner is saying, it's like, yeah, his penis is curving and that's what's causing pain. And then you induce an erection in the office and they really don't have a curvature, right? Or he could have like a 10 degree curvature. And I'm sorry, like anybody who's listening to me, but a 10 degree curvature is very, very, very unlikely to cause any problems, right? Most penises curve. And I always, you know, whenever I speak for Cyoflex, one of the things that I tell the audience is like that. It's like, hey, I'm pretty sure like one or two of us here in the audience have some degree of curvature, and we're still able to be functional. So again, it's all a matter of discomfort either for the patient or for their partner. But again, we really have to make sure that we are setting proper expectations because sometimes you might get a partner who just doesn't want to have sex with the patient and they're using that as an excuse. And also, I mean, you
0: mentioned the patient also that doesn't have any issues uh, in terms of pain or anything, have good erections. But if they want something more to look better for
1: aesthetic purposes. Is that someone you will correct if it's just purely aesthetic? It depends. Yeah, I mean, it it depends. I don't see that as much for Peyronie's. I see that more for patients who have congenital curvatures. And yeah, I mean, sometimes they can be, I mean, they're very self-conscious about their penis and if they want to correct it, then, you know, we can try to correct it. If it's congenital curvature, there is no scar tissue. So, of course, I'm not going to offer them cyaflex injections. I've had Patients who come in with a penile fracture because somebody injected Cyoflex <laughs> on a non-scar tissue, and then they, you know, they end up breaking the tunica. But yeah, but patients who want corrections for their deformities, we can try to offer, if there's something that we can do about it, I will offer it to them. And in terms of Cyoflex, only for angulations, I mean, if it, was, if it has an hourglass deformity, do you still use Cyoflex in those cases? So it depends. If they have mild hourglass deformity, I still explain to them that it is very unlikely that they will see any correction on the hourglass deformity. But if their main complaint is the curvature, I would offer them the Cyaflex injection.
0: So based on, not not on the plaque, but mainly on the uh, angulation.
1: Yeah, mainly on the angulation and whatever is bothering the patient. Because again, sometimes you can do Siaflex injections and then you can do extra tunical grafting for the hourglass if they have a good strong erection. Or sometimes you can combine Siaflex injections, correct the angulation, and then you can use even a subdermal filler. And sometimes, you know, those fillers can help give some uniformity and girth to that wasting area. So again, it all depends on degree of bother and the degree of erectile function. You're doing fillers also. So I'm going to start doing them next month. So cool. I, have, I still haven't done it. I'm just going to start doing it soon. I was not a believer until I saw a clinic that was doing a really good job with them. And they have a pretty cool protocol. And when I saw it, I'm like, and I felt it. I even went to the clinic with my wife. I mean, she's a dermatologist, so she knows a lot more about Phyllis than <laughs> I do. And we were there and it looked legit. I mean, it, there's, There was no way I could tell that there was anything there. So yeah, we're going to start offering to, to men soon. That's awesome. So Jonathan, in terms of surgical procedures, when would you say, okay, you, you, you need a surgery, we're not going to bother with the injections? Well, the only times that I, that I would do that is if it's a guy who has like a severe calcified plaque or they have a severe, like very severe deformity, either 120 degrees or it's something like very complex uh, that they have like two points of angulation in their penis or they have corporal wasting. Sometimes you will have these guys that will present with a scar tissue that they have girth in the base of the penis. And then all of a sudden, like midway through the penis, everything narrows down and the penis is unstable. And you do a Doppler. They have good blood flow going into their penis. But they tell you, it's like, doc, I cannot maintain an erection. I cannot penetrate. And sometimes these guys can present in their 30s. So, again, we have to be very open to all the different surgical procedures because this is not a one-size-fits-all. There's multiple things that we can try for different reasons, right? So most of the time, Oche, the patient decides what is the treatment that they want. However, if with those specific scenarios, a guy who has a very severe curvature or a severe calcified plaque that I know the Sileflex injection is not going to do anything to it, then for those, I tell them, like, hey, you need surgery. And the patient that you mentioned that has a good erection up to the mid-chaff and then soft. What do you do with that patient? So for those are a little bit complex, right? So most, I've only seen it maybe about three or four times and all patients, they presented wanting an implant. And they've already seen other other urologists. Some of them have had already uh, Sioflex injections. I'm not sure, you know, (laughs) what they were doing it for because these are guys who do not have curvature. They just have severe narrowing across a distal shaft, and they will tell you like, doc, like past the midway of my penis, my penis is completely unstable and I, I'm not able to penetrate. So for those, I tend to offer penile implants. Again, it's a very complex option, you know, for, or a, a little bit of an invasive option, but most of the time, these can be your happiest patients. Because again, this is from somebody who cannot penetrate at all, and now he's able to penetrate. However, if you have a guy who has good, stable, you know, they have stability in their erections, but they have this more or less the same thing. And they only ha- they have narrowing, but the distal penis is still strong enough for them to be able to penetrate. So for them, we can offer either you know, filler injections. I mean, I haven't done it yet, but it's something that I would probably consider doing because again, it's non-surgical. And the goal is to make the penis cosmetically better. It's a cosmetic procedure and you can offer that to them. Or the other thing that you can do is a procedure called extratunical grafting, which is a very easy surgery in which you have, you just have to dissect the dartos and just right underneath the dartos, you can place a graft. Most of the time we use caravetic pericardium, like tutoplast, and you can use that mostly on the size of the penis and it will give some uniformity to the penis. I wish I could show you pictures, man. I'm probably going to bombard your cell phone tonight with, <laughs> with a bunch of penis pictures. Well, go ahead and put them on our website. Yeah.
0: Talk to us about what surgical options patients have with Peyronie's.
1: So, I mean, I offer all surgical procedures depending on what they are willing to risk. I'm going to repeat that. I offer all surgical procedures, and it depends on what they are willing to risk. I explained there are three categories. Number one, placation surgery. Number two, grafting procedures. And number three, penile implant. The cool thing about this is that we can even combine these to give a better result for men. Whenever we are offering treatment options to these men, Remember, again, this is a quality of life issue, not a matter of life and death. We already discussed that. So the patient, the individual patient should be the one deciding what they want. We can orient them and we can inform them about the risks and benefits of each option. But at the end of the day, in order to keep your patient happy, which again is the main goal, they need to be at peace with that specific option. So we need to always explain the risks of each procedures. For example, men with placation, what's the biggest risk? Penile shortening. So you could also have problems with sensation, recurrence of curvature, small risk of worsening erectile dysfunction, but the main risk is penile shortening. So if you have a guy that their main concern is like, doc, my penis is definitely getting smaller and I cannot spare anymore, then we have to take that into consideration. So men undergoing grafting procedures, what's the biggest risk? Erectile dysfunction. Usually there's about a 20 to 30% chance of having worsening ED. So even though smaller risks, there could also be risk of shortening, and these require most more attention post-op as well, specifically if they have a big plaque. So whenever I talk about grafting procedures without placing an implant, we have to explain to the patients that, hey, you have to massage your penis post-op. You have to do some traction therapy post-op. If you have some contraction of that graft, you might need a vacuum pump. Again, we have to take into consideration, are we incising the plaque or are we excising the plaque? In general, we try to incise rather than excise because with excisions, the risk of erectile dysfunction is worse because you could actually, the veno-occlusive mechanism within the penis can actually get worse whenever, or it's worse whenever you excise the plaque versus whenever you incise the plaque. Then the other thing we have to take into consideration is what graft material will, will we be using? Are we going to be using tutoplast or are we using one of these newer hemostatic patches like Tachasil or Everest? I mean, does the patient know? The risk, again, of graft contraction, sub-graft hematoma. I've had guys who develop a small hematoma right underneath the graft that we have to be pulling out blood from. Recurrence of the curvature. We have to really discuss these things to patients. And you ask them, like, hey, are you willing to take that risk? Because some men will tell you, like, doc, uh, that seems a little bit complicated. Or sometimes the partner, you know, the wife is there in the room, and they're like, Doc, he's not going to pay attention to that." I was the one who pulled him over to the, you know, to the office. He's definitely not going to be doing that at home. So we have to take those things into consideration when it comes to a penile implant, right? So how bad is their .ED? Were you able to induce an erection to fully assess how bad that curvature is? I have guys. Now I get many men who travel from outside of Houston, and they travel for these specific surgeries. like just today we were scheduling a guy who's coming in from Colorado, and the guy's like, yeah, I have 45 degree curvature, but then when he sends me a picture, it's like a 50% erection. It's very likely that when you induce a full erection, that curvature is going to get a little bit worse. You know, whenever that guy comes in, I posted him. I mean, he also needs an implant, but I posted it for a penile implant, possible placation, possible <laughs> plaque and citron grafting, possible, you know, extratunicle grafting, possible everything. So we have to be ready for all these things. Then the other things that we need to take into consideration, the risk factors when it comes to penile implant. Is the patient diabetic? Is the patient a smoker? Does he have peripheral vascular disease? Are we risking ischemia of his penis? And most importantly, what are the patient's goals? Does he want to be functionally straight or does he want to be straight like an arrow? Does he want to restore length? Does he not want to risk losing sensation? Because as a surgeon, again, we need to be equipped to tackle these complex cases. So if you're not comfortable doing these complex cases, you should probably refer them out. Are you, as a surgeon, equipped to tackle these complex cases? Adjunct procedures, elevating neurovascular bundle. Is it better to refer out? I mean, I remember even when I graduated from fellowship and I started out, I had two very complex cases that presented to my office. And I'm like, you know what? You should go see this other doctor because I, I don't feel comfortable taking care of you right now. And again, I did a fellowship in this. And now, I mean, fortunately. I've seen it all (laughs) when it comes to these surgeries. So now I'm the one kind of like taking care of all these really, really complex cases. And it's just a matter of what you feel comfortable doing as well. Don't get yourself into a pickle. Like damaging a guy's penis can be extremely detrimental. I will never forget when I was in training, I met a a resident from Brazil and he was telling me like, I will never do a Peronis case in my life. I'm like, why not? I mean, this is a pretty cool surgery. And he's like, Because in Brazil, those urologists get shot. Very important, very important. So again, it's very important. It's very important, again, that we remember these things. And again, I offer all surgical procedures just today, Oche, just today. I did two complex Peyronie's cases. One of them was a 90 degree dorsal curvature with a penile implant. And I do a slightly different way of plaque incisions. I presented my abstract of almost 35 patients two years ago in the SMSNA, actually a year ago in the SMSNA, but I still, I'm working on writing the article about it. And you know, to check this out. So most of the time, whenever we do these plaque incisions for men, we incise, you know, we were, every, everybody was taught to make the incision right at the point of maximal curvature, right? The reason I don't do that is because whenever, I'm not sure if you can see me in the screen, but I cut through the point of maximal curvature. Whenever I do that, Is going to expand the tissues a lot. And then you have to place this huge old graph in order for you to correct the curvature. So what I do is instead of putting one incision across the point of maximal curvature, I actually go around the point of maximal curvature. So I put in one incision below, one incision above. And sometimes I would add one, depending on how much the penis allows me to do. I do one incision above or one incision below each of the other two incisions. Most of the time men get about three or four incisions. And for example, I'm even going to show you this. Check it out, man. Let me see if I can show you this. And we can post this on. So check it out, this guy, how he has started off. And you can see at the end, again, the patient has a straight like an arrow penis. Again, this was a guy who we did this for a guy who had severe calcified plaque, hourglass deformity, unstable penis. With erectile dysfunction, the guy's young, and we were able to correct this deformity, and I'm hoping that the guy does very well. And the other surgery was a guy who also had severe vascular path, smoker, diabetic, and we did implant with application Because with that one, I didn't want to risk him having problems with ischemia, so I didn't elevate his neurovascular bundle. And I just wanted to correct the curvature as much as I could, the easiest way possible. So I did application corrected the curvature and then we just got it an implant. So again, and this is something that we do on a regular basis and it's fun. For me it's and, fun. And
0: and for for that first patient the 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 one uh, you did the incision, you do the multiple incision and then you put a patch
1: all over. So it depends. So most of the time with given that I'm making smaller slits, um this is a modification of a technique that was popularized by Paulo Eguidio. He's a Brazilian urologist. We were talking about Brazil earlier. He still hasn't got shot. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, so he has this you know he had some variations of a very unpopular technique called the sliding technique. I'm not sure if you've heard about this procedure, so the sliding technique is basically a procedure in which you incise the penis longitudinally
0: i, I have seen the patients, yes,
1: yeah, and you kind of like extend the penis. We published a series of of about seven patients when I was in fellowship, and patients they, t- they tend to do well, but it's a risky procedure, right you're Stretching out that neurovascular bundle, you're stretching out that skin, and sometimes that can devascularize, you know, the glands. Fortunately for us, we've never we've never seen that in any any of our patients, you know, undergoing those complex procedures. I have seen glands ischemia before. Fortunately, it was superficial and the patient didn't lose his penis and the patient didn't even lose his his implant. And I'm actually presenting that on the Puerto Rico Urology Association this next week. So yeah, I want to see everybody's faces when I post those pictures. So going back to your question, so Paolo Aguidio, he started doing modifications to this. And one of them being that he called the must or the multiple slits technique or the modified sliding thing. The must is just making a bunch of different incisions across the dorsal part of the penis for a dorsal curvature. But what I did was I modified that. I didn't want to make so many incisions. And what I did was I just wanted to focus around the point of maximal curvature that will create very small slits. Most of the time, those openings are about one centimeter or one and a half centimeters. So in theory, you don't even have to graft those. So sometimes I will only graft them if I see that the implant is exposed. If the implant is exposed, I will graft them. And most of the time, whenever I started doing these, I don't have to place a graft that I have to sew. I use Tackle Seal or Everest, which is just a hemostatic patch that some say that it could help regenerate the tissues of the tunica. There's actually an abstract that will be presented next week, not from us, but I, I saw it in the in the program for the SMSNA the, uh, coming in the next week, and they did tackle seal on rats. And they showed that there wasn't any regeneration of the tunical tissue, but sometimes it can help trap the blood. Believe it or not, Oche. Again, this is. Have you ever heard about the tackle seal?
0: Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah,
1: yeah. So the tackle seal again is for everybody who's listening and doesn't know. This is a product made by Baxter. Right now, they're a little bit in short supply, so it's pretty hard to get. So now the one that I'm using is Everest. It's made by Ethicon. And these are hemostatic patches that were originally used by liver and heart surgeons. And there was this guy in Europe, Dr. George H. from Germany. His train of thought was, wait, if this is able to withhold blood in the heart or liver, I'm pretty sure it can, it can hold the blood in the penis, right? So what he started using these grafts, even without an implant, and this is a graft that you just put it there and within three to five minutes, depending on which one you're using, three to five minutes, it kind of like takes the shape of the penis and you're able to close it up and that's it. The downside of this is if you're not using an implant, you cannot test it at the end because if you start inflating the implant, the penis, the patch will just go off. I've used it without an implant. And I've had guys who have an excellent result with this Tacosil graft. Again, these are guys who they understand the risk and they're like, doc, I really don't want an implant. And they have good erections and we do it and they've done very well. But the cool thing about these grafts is again, you don't have to sew them, right? So by not having to sew a graft, now you take off 30 to 45 minutes off out of your surgery. So that's the beautiful thing about it. But to answer your original question, most of the time, whenever I do this technique, of the multiple slices around, we call it the SAPOC technique, which is the slices around the point of maximal curvature. So again, I'm working on the article. Hopefully it will come out soon. We're only accruing more more patients. So it's been pretty cool because again, it's super cool whenever you're doing those slits. I always, whenever I do complex Peroni's case with an implant, I do the incisions. And then once I do everything, I test everything once the implant's already been placed. So I dilate, I do the slits, and then I place the implant. So I don't know if the curvature is corrected until I start inflating that implant. So I feel like if I'm watching a basketball game or even a baseball game, now we're, we're in baseball, right? Like if somebody like hit, you know, hit the ball, they're like in the stands just like watching, expectantly to see if there's going to be a home run. <laughs> so that's how I feel whenever I inflate the implant. But again, patients have tended to do very well. And most of the time we could actually go away without placing a graft, which again, it will save you a lot of time.
0: So in, in those cases, I mean, you, you put the, well, the, the, not the graft, the, the patch. How do you know that it's sealed? So you're, you're
1: not seeing the bulge? That's what you're looking for, not, not the bulge from the implant? So again, if the, if the patient has the implant, yeah. So the cool thing about those smaller slits is that you still have tunica in between those slits. And the tunica is going to be a lot stronger than whatever you're going to be patching or whatever you're going to be sewing. So the good thing about that is like most of the time, they don't have a bulge. The other thing to take into consideration is if you're doing a grafting procedure for a patient who has fibromyalgia disease, do not oversize or aggressively size your cylinders. So for those you want to size them right where they need to be, again, if you're doing the slits first or doing the incision first and then measuring, because of course, if you're Going to place the implant first and then do your incision. Sometimes you can get away with oversizing a little bit. So it's very important because otherwise it will create a bulge. If you oversize, it will create a bulge through the defect. And then you're going to have a patient who's going to be complaining. And I've seen that before. That's how I know. (laughs) What do you do in those cases? You have to go back? So it depends. If the bulge is not bothersome, I'll leave it alone. Right? And I ask them, does it bother you? Does it bother your, your partner? If you guys are not bothered, leave it alone. If it, I've only had to go back once to revise it, and it was a guy who, it was a very interesting case because the guy, I saw him, I placed the implant, and then when we see him back, now the implant is kind of like bulging through when it's deflated. When he's inflated, everything was perfect. But when he was deflated, you could see that the implant was clearly getting out through one of those slits that we created before. And that actually started happening like nine months after his surgery. And I'm like, this is very odd because, again, I already knew that I'm not going to be oversizing them. And when I go back, what happened was that now he started developing a plaque ventrally. So he had a new plaque. And what I did was I went back, I took out that tunical tissue that was already weak, aneurysm tissue, and I oversowed it with, took it out and just kind of patch it with, with tutoplaft. With that one, I, I wanted to give strong tissue. And the patient ended up, you know, I took out the implant. And now he ended up measuring one centimeter and a half less. So let's say, for example, he was 23 centimeters before. Now he's 21, 21 and a half. And the cool thing about it, though, was that because you're probably everybody who's listening to this thinking is like, wait, like now the guy's going to complain that the penis is shorter. But again, given that the tissues were still on stretch, the guy didn't lose visually. He didn't lose any length. And so it was a really cool case. Unfortunately for the patient didn't, didn't consent for me to post anything, so I cannot talk about, about it m- much, but I cannot publish it or anything, but it was a pretty interesting case. So Jonathan, in, in
0: terms of post-op pain management, what do you do in terms of meds?
1: So one of the things that I do is at the beginning of every surgery, I induce a dorsal penile block, and also I do a ring block with a combination of expiral and either marcaine or rapivacaine, depending on what is available. I also induce an erection with a diluted form of the same solution. So I, again, I stick a needle at the beginning of the surgery and I, and I will fill it up with a combination of Exprol and Marcane. And most of the time, believe it or not, this keeps the patient's pain-free for the first you know, two or three days. So it is wonderful to see patients when they wake up and they do not complain about pain at all. Post-op, I don't use any narcotics. I use a combination of Tylenol and I also combined it with Gabapentin and Ketorolac. So my pain regimen is I tell patients, I give gabapentin 300 milligrams twice a day. And again, these guys specifically, when you're elevating the neurovascular bundle, they're going to complain of neuropathic pain, like shooting pains or like severe burning all of a sudden. And the gabapentin can help with those. So I give them that for 30 days. I also give them, and then I tell them to alternate Tylenol with Ketorolac. With the Ketorolac, I usually give them about 20 pills just to protect the kidneys. I don't want them to be going to kidney failure with it. And if they run out of that, they can just take ibuprofen. But most of the time, believe it or not, that can keep their pain controlled and they do well. I mean, it's very, very rare that I prescribe narcotics to these patients. And I also, you know, for guys who do not have implants, you either did application surgery or a grafting procedure. I explain that the nights will be tougher than during the day. Why? They're going to have those nocturnal erections. And sometimes they're like, doc, can you, you know, give me something to prevent these? And what I told him, is like, man, it's like, just lift your hands up to God and say thank you for,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: you're you don't have a, you're not have not going to have erectile dysfunction, right? And then the other thing, I, as I discussed before, is like, I always prescribe daily Tadalafil to all my peronis disease cases. Again, I mean, there are some research studies that demonstrate that it can actually have some anti-inflammatory properties and it can help speed up the healing. So most importantly, it also keeps bringing blood flow to the cavernous tissue and it also... Brings blood flow to the glands during their recovery, and again, that's something that we always have to be paying attention to because the one thing that you don't want is these guys to show up with a black penis.
0: And I guess the the, the final question, of what they always want to know, when can they try it?
1: It depends. So most of the time, I tell them to follow up at six weeks with me. No sexual activity of any kind during those six weeks because whenever we talk about about sex, again, they're all thinking about penetration. So Uh, especially if they have an implant. And I did a complex pro case. I tell them like, hold up for the six weeks. My motto is six weeks of abstinence, lifetime of happiness. And I tell them that's and no sexual activity of any kind. I mean, you don't want them to be penetrating anally. You don't want it to be penetrating or even like masturbating. Again, you want those tissues to heal well. Sometimes they don't, I mean, patients do whatever they want and they start having sex at four or five weeks. But I try to discourage them about that.
0: So six weeks.
1: Yeah, six weeks. So, yeah, and it doesn't matter, let's say, if it was just a simple placation, still six weeks. So if it was a simple placation, I mean, as soon as that incision heals up, you can go ahead and do it. So, Jonathan, anything else we missed? I mean, you, you can continue <laughs> talking about this for,
0: for hours. I know, uh, I know. But anything else important to those people uh,
1: listening to us? I mean, the the important thing is, again, whenever we talk about peribonial disease, like we discussed before, first of all, listen to the patient. Listen to their complaints. Remember, again, these guys, now they're coming out of the cave because fortunately, we finally have a commercial, the, the famous carrot commercial from Cyoflex. We finally have something that's putting the word out there. You can listen to it on, you know, SiriusXM or the radio, the carrot commercials start coming up. And it's pretty cool because, again, now these guys are finding, you know, they're looking at these commercials and they're like, you know what? I have that. Let me actually seek some help. So I believe that the incidence is actually, and the prevalence of pneumonia is actually a lot more common than what we think. And again, just listen to these guys. And if you don't feel equipped to treat them, at least guide them, right? Again, in the United States, there's multiple experts across the entire United States and doctors that feel very comfortable treating these conditions. So the important thing is that we at least are able to guide these guys. I know we talk about the tiger makers, but one of my other social media, you know, motos is gatekeepers of men. I mean, as urologists, we are the gatekeepers of men, right? We are the ones who should be able to help these guys. Because if they show up to your office for a complaint of penile curvature and you just blow them off, it's like, oh, I don't know what to do. It's like, there's nothing we can do about that. Then they're just going to go back to their cave. So again, we can guide them to seek an expert. And that way they can actually get the treatment that they deserve. And Jonathan, I
0: mean, so if as a urologist, if if I want to refer you a case,
1: a patient, how do we go about that? So if if that's, I mean, I get many patients who travel from all over the U.S. Most of the time, what most doctors, if you don't have, I mean, if you have my cell phone, you can just text me. I have even from big institutions that they refer me patients like I talk a lot with Dr. Ziegelman. And Dr. Bayek, who are in Cleveland Clinic and and Mayo Clinic, they're really good friends, Peronis experts, so shout out to them. Thank you for helping with the AUA core curriculum and also Dr. Bernie. But yeah, so for Matt Siegelman, I mean, we text each other all the time and sometimes he's like, hey, man, I have this guy who wants to consider a length restoration procedure that I do not offer. Can I send them to you? And I tell them, yeah, just send me the patient's name and phone number. We'll give them a call. If you don't have my cell phone number and you want to send me patients, just try to keep, I mean, I have Facebook page. I have a website. I have Instagram. I have Twitter. You can direct message me and I'll be more than happy to once share my information with you. Just don't share it with the patient. (laughs) And yeah, you can, you know, I'm more than happy to at least let you know who you can go to. Because again, I know many experts across the U.S., so, probably I'm too far for the patient. But again, I mean, there are experts across the entire United States that might be closer to your patient.
0: So, Jonathan, thank you, Dr. Clavel. Thanks again for being part of Backtable. Definitely congratulations with all your success, and you're going to continue getting bigger.
1: No no pun intended. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyways, but yeah, thank you, Oche. I mean, thank you to the Back Backtable, your team. Again, it's always an honor to be here. You guys are doing great things, the podcasts that I've been listening to. They're all have been very helpful. So again, continue doing what you're doing and I'll be more than happy to come back to discuss any other topics that you guys want to discuss. Let's do that. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars and share with a friend.
0: If you have any questions or comments, DM us at underscore Backtable on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter.
1: Backtable is hosted by Aditya Bagrodia and Jose Silva. Our audio team lead is Karen Gannon, with support from Caleb Hodson, Josh McWhirter, and Ness Smith-Savadoff, design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz, with support from
0: Ishan Sangwan
1: and Vedavi Putwardhan. Social media and PR by Chi Ding.
0: Thanks again for listening and see you next week.